The category is Hello, everybody. Hello, masters of your own destiny. What we were listening is a beat from one of the hit TV shows in the moment, of course, is from Pose. And that have to do with our special guest today, which I'm going to introduce in a little bit. Before I do that, I want to welcome back everybody out there who is listening to us. Thank you for tuning in. This is from Suarez Baseman and Francisco Suarez, your host, a podcast created especially for everybody out there who is interested in the communication media and the art. We want to remind you, you can visit us at www.fsbaseman.com where you can access the entire library of our show in audio and in video, but also to use some of our learning tools tools that we have created, especially for you students or for faculty members. Yes, they are really cool. And if you are a student and you're looking for a mentor, sign to our mentoring program of Francois Baseman. Again, www.fsbaseman.com. Like I say, at the beginning of the show, we listen a bit from the hit TV show Pose, a show about the ballroom universe of the 80s and the trans community we recommend a hundred percent the show here in Francois Spaceman and we are very happy and very humble to have today the cinematographer behind Pose Andre Bierswarz is with us I cannot wait to have this conversation with him he's also behind the cinematographer of a new movie in Amazon that came out two weeks ago called Everything is Possible, directed by Billy Porter, which is also cast of the show Pose. This is going to be a great conversation. I want to thank WCNY in Central New York for your partnership. It's thanks to that partnership that we can come with new episodes every two weeks. And of course, you, the audience. Let's start this new episode from Suarez Baseman with a lot of enthusiasm and with the ego to learn new things from this expert. Here we go. I want to welcome you for sure. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. Thank you. I appreciate it. First question. Uh, are you sleeping well with the new member of the house? Uh, <laughs> oh congr congratulations. Oh, thank you. It's uh, <laughs> Well, last night we got six hours of sleep. So that was like a world record. Okay. Uh, usually it's like three or four. So it's everything is great. It's amazing. I recommend it. It's not the chaos that I was promised from every movie ever made. <laughs> but uh, you definitely don't sleep that much. So, but that shouldn't be any problem for people making movies. That's fantastic. Well, that's true. That's true because you don't sleep that much anyway. You should be so used to it. Yeah. You should be used to it. Well, congratulations. Mm -hmm. Listen, Thank talking you. about babies and, and, and being a child, and I always like to start these conversations with trying to go back in time. And tell us a little bit, when do you realize hmm, photography, cinematography, visual storytelling, were you, since you were a kid, uh, kind of in our universe and, and interested in it, or you became late in life? Uh, for me, it was very early. My Both my parents are very much, they love movies, but they're not, they don't work in film or anything like that. But my father is a sculptor and my uncle is a photographer and they have a sculpture studio. And that's where I grew up in their sculpture studio when I was a kid. 
So I, my whole life was watching people make things and use their creativity to tell stories. Um, and uh, it just always seemed like a very natural place to put all of my kind of interests together, even from when I was very young. And actually in, the, in my third grade class, my teacher was sort of a failed filmmaker. So he had all the kids make movies on Super 8 cameras. And uh, we made movies and we made sets and costumes and then we cut them together on the little reel-to-reel. And that was it. So I, I, I kind of had an idea from, from then that this was a thing that you could do and that I was kind of good at it because it didn't seem scary and that I wanted to do more of it. And that's really where it started. You remember your first gig? Let's say not not necessarily as a cinematographer, but your first gig in. Oh yeah, for sure. The first job that I ever had in film was when they opened Steiner Studios in Williamsburg in uh, Brooklyn, mm -hmm. and it was the year that they opened. And um, my in my my parents rented out some rooms in my house, and one of the people who was renting a room was actually the had come from Los Angeles to be the manager of Steiner as it opened. And through him, and I was like, I think 16 at the time, I got an internship um, to work at Steiner in the lighting department. And uh, so I went to work there one summer in, um, in high school. And it was while they were shooting Inside Man, the Spike Lee movie, and Fur with Nicole Kidman and uh, the producers. So I would just, you know, my job was to just deliver lights on the cart, you know, that's it. And then pick them up and go clean them. But there was 30 seconds when you're on the set getting the lights on the cart and you could see what's going on and it was amazing. You know, so I'm 90% of the time I was sweeping the floor and cleaning up the like dead cockroaches and whatever. And then 1% of the time I was watching, you know, amazing professionals at the height of their craft make very intricate um large-scale movies and it was very exciting and that is the cool part because now you are one of those professionals so i i just love the the whole process right i mean that's that's where students sometimes they don't understand that they need to pay their duties things are doesn't come oh yeah 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 but i i do believe we live in a time where uh, immediate gratification seems to be something uh and they don't understand that mm, it's not that high work yeah It took a long time. I mean, I even made a lot of mistakes that summer with that job and took it for granted, you know, because I was a teenager and I wanted to go hang out with my friends and would try and leave early and do this and do that, you know, because it's hot and it's dirty and whatever. But at some point, it clicked that this was actually a special experience and I shouldn't blow it. Mm -hmm. And I think that moment, which wasn't like a specific moment, but more like over time, that summer had a big impact on me and on my work ethic moving forward. Because after that, every single summer from, that was like sophomore year of high school, every single summer from then through college, I got jobs, they were all terrible. I mean, just the worst, worst jobs, but I really appreciated it. I really liked it because the more experience I got, the, closer I could get each time to doing something more interesting. Mm -hmm. And work ethic, you mentioned work ethic is such an important aspect of 
well, any industry that you are in, but I do think the, the idea of work ethic in the entertainment industry and, and filmmaking and TV making is so important. Be on time and and have that interest to really do something good, right? Not just be yeah. there for the for the sake of being there. So, yeah. cinematography. Uh, are you a photographer? You start as a photographer and then you you no. No, I mean, I've always owned lots of cameras. I love mm -hmm. cameras. I love taking pictures. I love holding a camera, looking through the lens. But mostly when I was, especially when I was young, I was more interested in like investigating how the camera worked, you know? So mm -hmm. uh, one of the ways that I did that, uh, I would like go to flea markets, find a twin lens reflex camera that was not in good shape, take it apart, fix it, clean it, put it back together. And then I would sell it, which would kind of fund my habit. So I was learning at the same time that I, and I found a way to kind of pay for this hobby mm. um, so that I could go through many, many cameras. Because I, for me, it wasn't about, I'm a still photographer and this is my baby. I just wanted to know how does this one work and what does that do and how do you shoot with this and how does this light meter work with this camera and how could I get this flash attachment to work with this thing and you know it was more it was more exploration. But it's uh, essential. It's essential aspect of your work because I think a cinematographer or a good cinematographer, what he brings to the table is, I know what this camera or this lens or this technical aspect can give to you as a director. I mean, you are asking me to produce certain amount or certain amount of certain style for you. I know as a cinematographer, not only to how to compose that, but also how the tool, which in this case is a camera, can give you those results. Right, definitely. I think that the best thing that you kind of get out of an exploration process like that is, honestly a level of boredom is like at some point you realize every camera is the same it actually doesn't matter it's a lens on a film plane and a backing of some kind that captures the image and there's really no point in being obsessed with this format or that format or this or that because once you understand the mechanics of how every camera works which is actually the same from the very very beginning you kind of become more fluent in the process and more fluent in the um, technical aspects so that you don't spend a lot of time wondering, oh, actually, I don't know that camera, so I don't feel comfortable stepping into this. That doesn't really matter because if you understand the mechanics of how light works on a person, how cameras capture the image, and you really are confident, you can work with almost any material. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And tell me if we could define in your own words, because I can go to the dictionary and find the word cinematographer, but mm -hmm. in your own words, your own experience, how you will define what is a cinematographer? What is your job? I, I actually think it's one of the more difficult jobs to explain on a set. Um, and I still struggle with it, but I think that mostly what I do is I listen to the director and I try and translate what the director wants into the technical abilities of the set that we have. Mm -hmm. Meaning the director could say an emotion 
And then I have to come up with a literal shot, which is camera movement of how many feet, focus depth of, of you know, how far, uh, a frame wide enough to capture how many characters to make that emotion make sense. Is it a comedy or drama moment? That I think would probably seem straightforward to anybody listening to your students, but I don't think I can emphasize enough how much you really, really are listening to the director and translating from one way of thinking into another way of thinking. Because so cool. I think that primarily people assume cinematography is very, very technical, and it is. You have to know a lot of technical stuff. But actually, the important, most important part of the job is being part of all of the conversations in prep and understanding the intention of the director and their interpretation of the script. Because if you don't know that, you will not be able to deliver the shot that the director is expecting to see. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But here's the thing, Andrea. You you mentioned something very important: communication. And and uh, again, yes. it, it, that's where I'm a big fan of collaborations in classes, where students can be put in projects where they really are more or less working in a real work environment. Because if they're not capable to communicate and capable to listen to that communication, it's almost impossible that they're going to make it, uh, you know, in, in this industry. However, my question is very interesting because you work with different directors. Sometimes TV shows, in fact, doesn't have one director for the entire season. They bring different directors. No, usually not. Right. How difficult is when that communication is not fluid? Is 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 mean? I as a cinematographer, I know the show more or less better than you in the sense that I've been here the entire time, and you're not communicating with me properly. I don't understand. Is that happened to you when you could say I don't understand what you're asking? You know, like what is really what you want? I know it's difficult because you. I mean, the thing is, here's the here's the thing is that when you're really working as a professional, on some level, you have to, you, you, you simply have to find a way to understand and make that translation possible. Because the show is going to get made, whether you're ready for it or not. And you have to say to yourself, I know the producers, I know what they like, and I know the script and I know the material, and I know who my gaffer is and my key grip and my focus puller, and I know the actors. So I have a lot of things going for me, but now what I need to do is I need to, if I'm not understanding, I need to take a step back and I need to make an effort mm -hmm. to find out where they're coming from and how they're trying to tell me their story. And every director has a different way. Even the most experienced people have their own totally unique weird ways that they like to direct and tell stories. And you might think that somebody who's directed 30,000 hours of television has like a totally standard format that anybody could understand, but that's actually not true at all. The further people go on their career, the more specific it gets to them and their taste. So everybody from very experienced to inexperienced you have to make an effort to understand how they tell the story. And so actually what you're doing is taking your own bias out of the conversation because you can work with somebody who hasn't done it before. And if you understand the sort of the kernel, 
the truth that they're trying to access, you can help them, right? Mm. If you know what matters to them, you can help them. And it seems to me quite a natural transition to go from cinematographer to a director. Is that something that happened in the industry? Have you think maybe in the future you would like to become a director or, or direct certain shows? Well, first of all, it happens a lot. There are a lot of cinematographers who go on to direct and there are a lot of cinematographers who go back and forth. Especially in TV, I see a lot of people who have been on a show for a season already. And then in the second or third season, they pick up a couple of episodes. Um, for me personally, it's, it's not very clear. I actually really like being a cinematographer. I think my skills are, are more valuable in that role than they would be as a director. I think it's easy to see the connection, but actually, you know, the director's job is to work with actors in a way that DPs don't get to do. Mm -hmm. You know, we get to talk to people about your mark is here. And if you could help us, the light is over here. And if you could, like that, you know, it's very technical. I make a big point of not crossing that line because the director should be the only voice, mm -hmm. you know, and whoever else wants to chime in, but much above me should be the only voice who have, you know, uh, have the ear of the actor in that critical moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very close, but also miles apart. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you, you're really trusting yourself with a totally different range of, of responsibilities. And, you know, sometimes I worry that I would become too technical and not, put enough attention onto, you know, let's say the emotion or the subtlety of this performance and be worrying about camera movement and this and that. I've directed a documentary before and lots of music videos and commercials and stuff. That's all a totally different process, but on the, on the, you know, the narrative um, higher end material that I work on, I really like where I'm at. Mm -hmm. Which is fantastic you're doing what you love and talking about yeah. what we love uh, of course we need to talk about post because i love it and it, you know it's one of the hit shows out there uh mm -hmm. new season almost the, the latest season is is fantastic um you have been working in post uh, for a long 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 time i'm always curious to know what what was the brief they gave to you when they brought you to you know, to work with them and say, okay, we want you to bring this to life from the cinematography for point of view. What, what was the brief they give you and how you interpreted, interpreted that information? The brief from them? Yeah. You know, it was, um, it was working on post was a very unique experience and one that I will treasure for the rest of my life. And it was really, really, I think, a balance between preserving the truth of the characters and the story, which was very, very important and central, as well as creating a show that was aspirational and not something that was, you know, down in the dumps all the time. Because I think it's more common more expected to see the kind of gritty, um, ultra realistic, realistic, meaning dirty, dark, sad version of these stories. Even when it's not about 
you know, uh, ballroom culture, trans culture, even if it's just New York in the 80s and the 70s, right? It's like you kind of have an image in your mind. Mm. And we were really trying to acknowledge that, but also break from that and create a show that had characters who were uplifted in their own lives and uplifting each other, as well as the viewers. Mm. And so a lot of our efforts went into um, presenting a real world and also earning the right to depart from that real world through sort of subjective visions and um, obviously the amazing costumes and production design that we had. You know, a lot of a lot of thought and effort went into transforming the show um, so that it didn't deliver kind of just what you would expect, but actually brought you to a new place in, in telling these stories while still respecting uh, who these real people are and the real stories that um, the characters share with a lot of, you know, people that live in New York still. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that, and and I, I say I say New York, but it's really shouldn't be so local. You know, it's really right. more just anybody who kind of identifies with these characters, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is not only New York. And I'm assuming no, no. those those uh, scenes in the ballroom uh, they must be quite fun to to film. How how natural how natural is not the word? Like how much you give them the freedom to, especially without doing the whole Vogue thing and dancing, or or is all very much choreographed and very much um, put together in a very, very specific way? Or are we seeing something that suddenly is like, let it roll and let's have fun with this? You know, it's way more choreographed than, uh, than you would think. Um, a lot of the dance routines I would say, I, actually, I don't want to be, you know, make a declaration, but mm-hmm, I can't mm-hmm. think of a dance routine that wasn't choreographed. Mm-hmm. It was all, it was all, um, you know, uh, done with an idea towards the story, written for the story that the episode is telling. Uh, the characters were chosen to be in the specific balls. The, a lot of the theme of the ball we always knew in advance. The colors had a lot to do with the costumes that the actors were wearing. Um, we had amazing choreographers who sometimes were on screen, sometimes not. And, um, we pretty much knew what we were going to be shooting each time. Uh, but then of course you, you sort of allow time on the day for a level of, um, improvisation to spice things up and get something that you hadn't expected. Usually when you have that many people in a room, it's impossible. The energy becomes so strong that the crowd decides what you're doing, if that makes sense. So you start with an idea, you give them this, the walk, right? But that by the time you've done that 10 times, the crowd who's watching, they now know what the, the choreography is so they can respond expertly and then you really have something. Because then the whole thing synthesizes, comes together, and then you can let the cameras play. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, 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 I would die to be one of those uh, scenes. It must be so uh, the energy, the the the, the music. The, it's just it's just fantastic. And talking also about you have a new uh, a project. It's called anything possible. Anything is possible. 
correct? Mm-hmm. And it's That's directed right. by Billy Porter, which is also uh, from Poe. So how, how is that experience working um, and, and that collaboration? And tell us a little bit about the project and, and what is the story behind. Well, working with Billy was, I mean, it, uh, totally wonderful. He was, he's obviously, you know, an extremely experienced person in many different aspects of storytelling. Um, but I felt very lucky and proud to be with him on his first movie that he's directing. Um, and also just proud, you know, it's not that often that an actor that you've been working with picks you out and says, I want to keep going with this relationship. You know, we knew each other and we were friendly. Um, but when you get to direct with somebody, I mean, the relationship deepens um, immensely. And that was, that was quite an honor and something that, you know, I hope to continue with him as he keeps directing. Um, but the story, you know, we, we went to shoot in Billy's hometown in Pittsburgh. We shot there last summer. And um it's about it's a high school romantic comedy you know it's kind of girl meets boy and then they leave for college this is it's like a this is a story that we know on screen it's almost a genre of its own and um what we had going into this was uh you know a trans woman of color as well as um a young man of color who's the the male lead and we had Billy. And so the way that they tell the story with these subtle twists um, is wonderful to watch because you, you know, it's just the, you, you get the intention right away. You're seeing, oh, it's exactly the same as every other time. And it's completely different, you know. And that's really the point is just to show you the story that you know already, to point out our similarities and also to enjoy the differences mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and to really embody the um, the joy of telling the story in this new way. I think mm-hmm. Billy's vision for this movie had a lot to do with, with, um, with joy and was an, was a, a, for me, it was kind of an easy um, continuation of the work that we started to do on post, mm-hmm. which obviously is, you know, with his character, especially, goes to some very, very dark places. But the emphasis is always on the joy of um, family and finding the, your rightful place in this world. And I think that this following film is, you know, sort of took that and and ran with it further. Fantastic. Well, at the time this episode go out, the, the, the movie is going to be already out in Amazon. In Amazon, Amazon everything right. is possible. Um, okay, last but not least, let's talk about rejection because that's something that I'm fascinated in the sense of my students dealing with rejection in an industry that uh-huh. is, is, is very much, especially at the beginning, full of rejection. How, how, what, I guess, what is your advice to anybody who is coming uh, out of school that want to make it and they're going to find themselves being rejected over and over and over for, 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 you know, whatever the rejection is. Sometimes it's not even because it's a personal thing. It's just because you're not the, per- the good match for that specific job. How do you deal with the rejection, especially at the beginning of your career? And what is your, your advice, I guess, to all the students who are listening out there to say, listen, don't worry about it. Just, just keep going. What, what do you would say was your own experience? Well, Listen, rejection is 
I, I, you can't, you honestly, you just can't pay that much attention to it. It sometimes hurts because you really love the project and you wish they chose you. But to be honest, it was never your project until you get it. So you cannot hold on to something where they don't choose you. It's not right. The thing about it is, you know, I must have been, for however many jobs that I've gotten, I must have been rejected for a hundred more. You only get 1% or 0.0101% of what you're going out for, especially when you get to the point where you have agents and you have your hands in a couple of different pots because then you get rejected for features, TV shows, and commercials. You know, so you get rejected constantly. The point is, you get rejected a lot more than you get chosen. So you actually, you have to just get used to it because the rejection is the norm. Being chosen is what's unusual. Andrea, I want to thank you so much, really, from, from the bottom of my heart, because uh, your time is very valuable. I know you are busy with a new baby uh, and, you know, everything that is happening with your work, but taking the time to talk to us and talk, you know, to our listeners, students and faculties uh, through our podcast means a lot to us. So I, I really want to thank you for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. And good luck with everything. Uh, I hope the baby starts sleeping more so you can sleep uh, <laughs> at night. But I appreciate the time, okay? All right, very good. Perfect. Thank and you. Thank good you. luck with everything. Talk to you soon.